Welcome to Phone Messages, Episode 10, Art Ensemble. My name is Paul Mason Foch. This week's message is the first in a trilogy taking place during the 1988 Chicago Jazz Festival. The Chicago Jazz Festival has its origins in 1974 when a concert was organized to celebrate Duke Ellington after his passing. Over the next several years, two other jazz festivals were created, and the three were unified in 1979. The primary venue was the Petrillo Music Shell in Grant Park, but there were concerts on a smaller stage as well. The performances took place during the last weekend in August, and all these concerts were free. No surprise, this was an exciting time, and I wanted to announce this in my outgoing message. So this first message in the trilogy is an outgoing message from the first day of the festival, Wednesday, August 31, 1988. So let's listen to it. So this is 684084. Thanks a lot for calling. If it's Joel, the show doesn't start till 9.30. If it's anybody, the show doesn't start till 9.30. So I'll be here a little bit. And I'm helping Jason move right now. But don't forget about the art ensemble. All right, let me begin with where I tell Joel the show doesn't start until 9.30. This is something I did frequently in my outgoing messages. That is, address specific individuals who I was expecting would call. One might see this as a way to preempt phone tag, where callers failing to reach each other leave messages back and forth. But in this era many people still did not own answering machines. So leaving a specific message may avoid the problem of not getting in touch at all. It is also significant that Joel is probably visiting Chicago from Ohio, so it might be difficult to call him back. Joel's first message is episode three. So if you haven't already, check out that episode to hear more about Joel. Next, I mentioned in the message that I am helping Jason move. I will say a lot more about Jason in the next episode, but for now I just want to note another frequent element of my outgoing messages, that is, telling people where I am. This is something truly anachronistic today. In other words, with cell phones there is no need to tell people where we are, they can just call us and find out. But back then, by leaving a message where I am, people who wanted to reach me could call the location I mentioned or just go there. In this case, if they knew Jason, which many people did, they could just show up at his place and maybe help him move as well. Finally, the message concludes by me saying don't forget about the art ensemble. Obviously here I am referring to the show that starts at 9.30. Looking back to the Chicago Jazz Fest schedule for 1988, I find that the art ensemble played on the opening night of the festival, Wednesday, August 31st. 
The Art Ensemble of Chicago is probably the most important group to emerge from the AACM, the Association for the Advancement of Creative Musicians. This Southside institution I first discuss with Joel's first message, episode three. So again, you can go back and listen if you'd like. In 1966, saxophonist Roscoe Mitchell first brought together three of the future members of the Art Ensemble in his groundbreaking album, Sound. Those three were Mitchell, Lester Bowie, and Malachi Favors. These three were complemented by Maurice McIntyre, Lester Lashley, and Alvin Fiedler. Joseph Jarman, the fourth core member, joined the group in 1967, and in 1969, they took the name Art Ensemble of Chicago. Up to this point, I have not mentioned the instruments played by group members because the essence of the Art Ensemble experience was their multi-instrumental skills. In addition to their primary instruments, Mitchell and Jarman on reeds, Bowie on trumpet and flugelhorn, favors on bass, all members played a wide array of items from toys to traditional African instruments. Add to this frequent use of vocals and poetry. In 1970, Don Moyer became the primary drummer slash percussionist for the group. Attending an art ensemble concert was an immensely rich oral experience, but it also had a visual component. Beyond the fantastic display of musicianship, as they moved between instruments, they often wore elaborate costumes, headdresses, and face paint. Like their instruments and musical styles, their appearance reflected a desire to recognize the complicated cultural traditions across the continents, from Asia to the Americas, but certainly rooted in Africa. Since all humanity originated in Africa, one could argue all music is African music. This symbolic internationalism took place in the late 1960s and early 70s in the context of global resistance to European colonialism. The Black Power Movement was also an important influence. A pride in African heritage combined with rage against racist violence from police brutality to workplace bigotry. This rage seemed at times to burst forth in walls of brass sound. But here one must be careful to avoid a one-dimensional reading of their music. At a public lecture, Roscoe Mitchell once admonished me to recognize the tenor cries of Albert Eiler, not as pure feeling, but as deeply thought compositional interventions. Paul Steinbeck points out in his book, Message to Our Folks, the notion that free jazz was an expression of pure rage was a popular trope among French critics when the art ensemble moved to Paris in 1969. This played into a fantasy of racial essentialism where blacks are more connected to the body and have natural rhythm. Steinbeck further shows the sophisticated musical sarcasm the group employed as a response to critics who would pigeonhole them as the jazz manifestation of black power. Likewise, 
since they were informed by serious study of musical traditions across cultures, the art ensemble should also not be confined to the category jazz. In his monumental history of the AACM titled A Power Stronger Than Itself, George Lewis reveals how these musicians engaged with a broad spectrum of artistic movements. The dismissive treatment of the AACM in Ken Burns' documentary History of Jazz reveals a profound ignorance of its members' wide influence on contemporary music and contemporary art in general. Their art is still very relevant, unlike the dying cliché of jazz depicted in La La Land. All right. Well, before I conclude, let me mention that the background music on this outgoing message came from the 1973 album Fanfare for the Warriors. The track is Barnyard Scuffle Shuffle, written by Lester Bowie. The album's title track was written by Joseph Jarman. Jarman passed in January of this year, meaning Roscoe Mitchell remains the only surviving member of the original quartet. Okay, that's it for this week. If you would like to participate in this podcast or have comments, please contact me through my website, pfoch.com. That's P-F-O-T-S-C-H dot com. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week.